Yeah, when we visited, probably about 16 years ago, we actually lived here in Kelowna, and uh, my wife and I were had been married for a year, and we moved here to Kelowna to minister in another church just down the road at Grace Baptist, and we were there for two years. My our oldest son, Christopher, was born here in Kelowna, and so uh, he doesn't remember that, though, but uh, we do. But it's good to be here, and uh, I, I feel kind of strange that I'm a, a pastor who has groupies. <laughs> but of course, but of course they, those that came from our church, uh, from Mission, they didn't come to see me, but we had a wonderful time of uh, fellowship and uh, enjoying the the blessing of a young man in our church being married to a young lady in Vernon, and they love the Lord, and just praying for them as they begin their life together. Also, uh, been having some good fellowship and getting to know your pastor, John, and his wife. We mainly meet together at uh, the fire conferences, and it's been a, a joy to get to know them. Now, I'd like uh, for us this morning to dwell upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When when you go to visit a church and preach at a church that uh, you're not a, uh, usually a part of, and uh, you're not always aware of who's there, and uh, you wonder, okay, what would the Lord have brought, have me bring and preach? And uh, the, the, the wonderful thing about the, the body of Christ is that wherever we go and whoever we are, that we are united in Christ Jesus. And that is the, the central message and the central person of the church and of the believers in Christ. It is Christ who unites us together. So this morning we're going to dwell upon the person of Jesus Christ and ask the question, when we come to the scriptures... When we come to the church, and as we work throughout the day, whether it be in our homes, in our families, in our communities, and in the context of the body of believers, who is it that we look to? And who do we see? And who do we humbly bow before? When one lives in the world, and for the world, even in terms of belief and religion and church life, one can be, of course, self-centered, that's the heart, the sinful heart. It's self-centered, and it sees only self and seeks for self. And sees self in terms of seeking only for power and for position and, and uh, just things for, for the selfish heart. But when one is truly being born again, born from above by the Holy Spirit of God and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, one seeks not his or her own self, but seeks and is brought to see the glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to do a little study in the book of Hebrews. And so I didn't ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In our church, a little while ago, we did a, a study for several of our young men in the church on how to prepare a sermon, and they gave the basically the way to make out an outline and study through a portion of Scripture. 
Uh, we're not going to follow that pattern. So those that are here this morning that were in that class, uh, forget what I taught you there. And uh, Because as we're going to go through Hebrews, we're not just going to be sticking with one little section in the, this book. We're going to be moving around in the book of Hebrews and uh, so just be prepared for that. But we're going to begin here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or comfort those that are tempted. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray now as we enter into the study of your word that we would indeed see Jesus. We'd see our Savior, our Lord, high and lifted up and exalted, but also dwelling in us and with us. And we pray, O oh Father, that that word would go forth with your power and might, may it be a demonstration of your power, not man's, to the saving of souls and to the revival of your church. We pray, Father, that as we've come through uh, this week, we thank you that Jesus Christ has led us and will continue to lead us, that nothing shall separate us from us, from him who gave his life for us. So we pray, open our ears and our hearts and apply it to our lives, Lord. And we do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now note with me there in Hebrews 2 and verse 9, where we get the main theme of this message this morning where it says, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. Now the author of this epistle, and some think it was Paul, and others think it was someone else. But whoever it was, he was inspired by the true author of the word to write this in the present tense. But we see Jesus now. This very moment. This very hour, this very day, but we see Jesus. The original audience to whom this was written were people who probably for the most part were like us that had not seen Jesus in the flesh. They would not have seen him with their eyes. There would be those who would not have lived in the area in which Jesus ministered at that time. 
in, that, in world history. But he writes in terms of those even who had not seen him in the flesh as seeing Jesus. But we see Jesus. And therefore, this is applicable for us here this morning. Those who have been made alive, been born again, who have been born from above, have been given spiritual sight to say with the author, but we see Jesus. Though we've not seen Jesus Christ with our physical eyes, we still have been given grace to see him and to know him in a most marvelous way. You know, there are many people in this world who have an idea of Jesus and they view him in a certain light. For some, they dwell upon Jesus as though he is still on the cross. They still see him in that humiliation. Uh, They have him left in their minds and eyes on that old rugged tree, the cross. And though I'd never seek to belittle the cross, uh, I never seek to stop pointing sinners to Jesus who died upon the cross and that that is the only hope for sinners, we must not leave Jesus hanging there on the cross. He, he, he rose again. He, he was buried in that tomb and he came out victorious, alive uh, forevermore, victorious over death and sin. And he's ascended to heaven where the writer of Hebrews, he continues to speak upon it in the latter part of verse 9 where he writes that we see now Jesus crowned and he's crowned with glory and he's crowned with honor and majesty. Now in this passage, we have the division, therefore, between those who are the redeemed and those that are not. Uh, for if, if they preached not this Jesus, this Jesus who is sovereign and alive forevermore and ruling and glorious, they have not seen the true Jesus. Because in this verse, we're led to this wonderful, in this passage, this description of who Christ is that we see. Christ, who's the sinful man who's been brought to, to be born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb. They've been brought to see Jesus no longer upon the cross, but in a glorious and a glorified manner. Those that are still spiritually blind, they don't recognize this Christ, this Jesus. They don't recognize who he truly is. For some who still believe that there was a Jesus, they will see him mainly as, say, a great prophet or a, or a good teacher, uh, one who was a good example to people concerning high standards and morality. Some view him as one of the highest of high men, leading others to a more fulfilling life, uh, a good life on how to uh, treat others nice and, and get along in this world. But for those who have... Uh, been made to see otherwise, those that have been made alive by the power of God, made to see out of darkness into the marvelous light of the gospel of Christ, we see something that is beyond all that. We see someone who is beyond what the human perception would perceive him to be, for we've been given by the Holy Spirit's leading as we study the scriptures, an entrance into the holy place to see Jesus as he truly is. We've been given the privilege of seeing through faith the risen, ascended Jesus, who is sitting upon the right hand of the throne of God, who is the head of the body, the church, and Lord over all. And it's upon the throne that this Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, reigns as King of kings. 
and Lord of Lords. He reigns with all power. He has all might and authority in heaven and on earth. He's received all this, having finished the work he came to do when he gave his life upon that cross as a ransom for us. He came, he conquered, he'll soon all have all his enemies under his feet when he shall come in power and glory. And as the scripture says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Until that final day, that eternal day, while we're still remaining on this earth, we still though see Jesus. And what we want to see is his position, his glorious position. Now in verse 17, so it says, Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Here it is where we enter in to what we would call the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, the high priest was the only one who could enter in once a year into the Holy of Holies in the temple, and it was to make reconciliation for the people with blood. And we're going to take time this morning to see Jesus in this light, in the Holy of Holies, to see Jesus crowned with his glory and honor and what this truly means. Staying in the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned, take note what it says of Jesus turning over to chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Here we see Jesus as what? We see him as our great high priest. This is how we see him. What makes Jesus to be our great high priest? Well, the, the word great High priest. The word great in front of that title, high priest, if you go and study through the scriptures, you don't find it pertains to any other priest in the Old Testament. There's never anyone given the designation to be the great high priest. They had high priests, but they did not have a great high priest. And the answer for this is found turning over to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Here we see several reasons why Jesus has the right to the title great high priest. We see Jesus, the great high priest. In verse 24, it's revealed that Jesus Christ, as great high priest, he replaced the old system of things that were, in the Old Testament, shadows. 
The high priest office was never in the Old Testament to be an eternal office because it was a shadow, it was a picture of what would come in the fullness of the Messiah, in the fullness and the eternity of the Christ, the great high priest. And Jesus was and he is the fulfillment of those shadows in the Old Testament. He's the real high priest who eternally fulfills the reality of those shadows that could never forgive, that could never cleanse from sin. Those offerings that were made year by year for the sins of the people. Jesus gave himself as the offering and he once and for all, he finished the sacrifices and entered in forever with his own blood shed to take away our sins. With that, he is, therefore, the great high priest. In verse 27 through 28 that we've read there, the great high priest, he offered himself as our substitute. Note, it pertains to the judgment for our sin. The Old Testament priest, he did not offer himself. He never offered himself as an offering, but he offered the blood of an animal sacrifice. Again, that blood could never put away sin. But Christ offered himself. No other priest did it. He alone offered himself, and he offered it for the sin of man. He offered himself as that sinless sacrifice to take upon himself our judgment, the judgment that was that we deserve to be placed upon us. Note that in verse 27. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. That's pertaining to the judgment that would be poured out upon us. It was poured out upon him. And he died once and for all. And therefore he is in that and for that the great high priest. For again, no other priest ever did nor could do that for anyone. He's the great high priest, for he is the mediator of something better than all those shadows in the Old Testament. All those things that the high priest in the Old Testament could offer, he is the mediator of something better. The covenant made under Moses was a covenant that was made with, through the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews 9, 12, it says that those were not able to remove sin neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, that is the blood of Jesus Christ, he entered in once into the holy place. That's why he is the great high priest. No other priest could and did ever do that. And so he's declared the great high priest of that which is described as being better. And it's better, again, because the Old Testament priest could not bring this about or do it. He's the great high priest of a better revelation, for that which was given the old was a declaration of death and judgment, but he is the one who died so that we might live, so it's a declaration of life. He is the great high priest in regard to the fact that, again, the animals, the blood that was shed, could not procure the, the redemption, reconciliation between sinner and God, but by his own blood being shed, he brought that about with better promises, better sacrifices, better possessions, better country, better resurrection, better inheritance. We have that all in Jesus Christ, the great high priest. No other priest could bring it and give it and offer it. Only this one, Jesus Christ. But we see Jesus, the glorious, the great 
high priest. But look back again to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now the words touched with our infirmities means that the Lord sympathizes with us in our weakness. Though he was without sin, Yet he knows what it is to be tempted. He, 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 he knew what it was as we know that he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness. And he felt the weakness of human flesh in terms of being tired and weary and feeling the pain and the suffering upon his back and upon his face as they beat him. He, therefore, as the great high priest, is also our great compassionate high priest. When you struggle, have you ever thought of this? That the Lord Jesus Christ knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is and therefore he sympathizes. He is, as it says there, cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like as we are. The Lord became one of us. He took on human flesh. He took on the nature of man. And in his manhood, he grew hungry. He grew tired. He knew what it was to be alone. He knew what it was to be rejected. Even rejected by those who seemed close to him. To be rejected of men who hated him. The Bible says they hated him without a cause. Jesus was despised by those that did not know him. And despised by those who thought they knew him. He knew what it was to not have a place to lay his head. He knew what it was to be beaten, to be spat upon. He knew what it was to be murdered. They crucified him on that cruel cross. When you think of that and you think and, and contemplate on the wonderful truth from the word of God that you see Jesus, you see Jesus, the great high priest who is compassionate for he experienced it all and suffered all. So when the world gets you down and you, you feel like everything and everyone's crashing in all around you, you look up and you see Jesus. By faith you see this one. This great high priest who's compassionate. When the darkness seems to be overwhelming and temptations seem hard and, and hard to fight, you see Jesus. No matter how rough things get in this life, we, by faith, we see this Jesus. No matter how hard it may be to feed the family, we see Jesus. No matter how wicked this world seems to be, we see Jesus. And I want to submit to you today that when we see Jesus, we are given from the word of God the truth of who Jesus is, and we are refreshed then. And we are given that reminder, and we're given that sanctifying work to to look up And no, that all hope is not gone. For we see Jesus, the compassionate, great high priest. It's very interesting that when Jesus came into this world, when he was born, there was an expectation among the greater part of the nation of Israel. 
There was this great expectation among the people that the Messiah was going to be coming, and he'd be coming very soon. But frankly, most of the world of Christ's day, they were not ready to receive him in the way that he came. They did not want one who the scriptures declared as a suffering servant. Those who, many of them who were waiting with expectation for the Messiah to come, they wanted a Messiah who would just give it to their enemies. And they, he would come and he would reestablish the throne of David and Solomon. So when he came into the world, he would establish that nation again in a golden age, as it were. And so when he came into the world and he came in poor and came as a suffering servant and came and was uh, one who went to the cross, instead of welcoming this one, they reviled him. It says of Jesus before he was born in Isaiah 53, 1, says, who has believed our report? That's kind of a rhetorical question, but the answer is no one's believed in this. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. See, Christ came in humility and came in order to suffer and the sinful heart that was having this expectation of the Messiah coming, they didn't want to see that. They wanted to see someone come and kind of make all things nice and wonderful for them in terms of, of the world in which they lived. But he didn't come in order to bring that about in this world. He came about in this world to suffer and to die. And one of the main reasons... He was not accepted. It was because he did not come in the same way as people like Pilate and others, looking for power and great prestige in the world. You know, people are often attracted to those that are, are of high worldly influence and power. If he came that way, thousands more would have rallied to his side. And Jesus even said that to Pilate. If my kingdom was of this world, my followers, they would rise up and fight for me. But he came as a suffering servant because he was not to just be, he wasn't to be a worldly attraction, but to suffer and die that those that believe on him and see him through faith would be saved. And so people would be attracted to him through faith, not by some sort of earthly, worldly attraction, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, having them come to see Jesus for who he truly is, that this suffering one is to be the great high priest, the compassionate great high priest. 
know, I can tell you this with absolute certainty. That if a person, if, if there's anyone here that thinks this way, if you come to Christ just for wonderful things he can do for you, that is in terms of the world and, and even the idea that you know, he'll make, make you rich or, or make all your troubles just flow away and there be no more of those types of things. That's not the Jesus of the Scripture. What I can present to you from the Scripture is that we have one who understands and is with us in our sufferings because he came as a suffering servant. He is a compassionate, great high priest. In Hebrews 5, verse 5, we see another aspect of his priesthood. He's our great high priest. He's our compassionate, great high priest. Note verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten you. As he said also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, how do unregenerated people see Jesus? How do they see Jesus? What do they make of Jesus? You know, there are those, of course, who deny he ever existed, but... Actually, they have actually no grounds for that, that belief, of course, that he didn't exist. There's more historical evidence of Jesus than people like Julius Caesar, or even Napoleon Bonaparte. There's more written evidence about Jesus than those two men combined. But for those who are void of spiritual understanding, who do not see Jesus as we see Jesus by faith, and who are void of this and do believe he existed, what do they say about him? Well, some of them see Jesus merely as a figure in history, a historical figure who has left his mark in the timeline of this world by doing good things and helping people. And, and over time, some believe that his influence will diminish as other people then take on uh, their place in the world stage. But that's not the Jesus we see by faith, is it? For we see Jesus both now and forever as our great high priest. We see the eternal great high priest. The compassionate great high priest is not only for a time. It's forever. He is forever. John wrote in... 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And, and, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We see one who is our mediator, our great high priest who intercedes for us. And he does so as our eternal high priest. 
And this is not just some sort of intellectual thought or human philosophy. This is where you just sit and kind of try to figure out eternity. This is so profound. It's something we can't really comprehend. The eternal aspect of Jesus Christ who we see. At this very moment, the Jesus we see by faith is standing up for me. And he's standing up for all those who are his. He's standing as our advocate, as our mediator, as our great high priest and mine. And if we consider this fact that if there was ever a time in which he was removed from that position, even if we were in heaven, say, for, uh, again, time isn't there, but we think in terms of time, but like for a million years, if Jesus ever was removed from that position, or retired, as it were, we would be sent immediately to hell. But praise the Lord that he is not just a high priest, as the high priests were in the Old Testament. They would be put in their position, and then they would die. Then they'd need another high priest. And if there was no high priest to take on the position, then there was no offering for sin. There was no sacrifice made. But we, brothers and sisters, have an eternal high priest. Therefore, we enter into the life of faith by God's grace, seeing Jesus who stands for us now and will stand for us for eternity. And that's what makes heaven, heaven. To know that Christ is there and will be with us there, standing for us forever and ever. He is our eternal high priest and he intercedes for us and who better to stand as our advocate than the perfect sinless lamb of god the acceptable son of god and it's a wonderful truth wonderful hope we have that jesus christ will never become obsolete as our high priest he will never say that he's finished standing for us he is, as it says in the second chapter of Hebrews, in verse 17, he is our merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. We know what it is like in terms of uh, associations and relationships within this world and in this life. There are times where we have friendships and relationships that only last for a time, but not with Christ and his people. We've enjoyed, many of us yesterday, a, a wedding between a young man and a young lady making vows before God. And we are thankful for that. And it was uh, emphasized the truth that it's a picture of Christ and the church. Christ being the bridegroom, and the church being his bride. And, there, and that love that Christ has for his bride will never end. It's eternal. What a glorious truth and hope this is for us. And therefore, because he is eternally faithful, his mercy remains. Because he is eternally faithful, nothing and no one can pluck us from his hands. Because he remains and will eternally remain faithful as our great, compassionate, eternal high priest, 
God the Father will never remove us from our salvation. He will never kick us out of heaven, if we want to use kind of just modern terminology. It's all settled. And it's eternally settled in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who we see by faith. But we see Jesus. And if this is not the Jesus you see, you're greatly misled. If this is... If this is the Jesus you see, then you can rest with calm assurance that when you stand in glory, you will hear the words, well done, a good and faithful servant. Well done because you stand in the robes of the righteousness of this great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we fall, when we're brought to repent of our sin, when we take our eyes off Christ and are disciplined for not living and loving and serving like Jesus has lived and loved and served us, we have him as our faithful, eternal advocate. Whoever intercedes for us, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now further, and to conclude this morning's message, I told my sons I actually had an extra half hour to preach because our service starts at 10.30 and I'm trying to wait to watch the clock to see it go to the time I usually end, but it's not getting there. But if you go to uh, chapter 7, This portion of Scripture helps us understand a bit more of what it means in terms of Jesus, who we see by faith, being that eternal high priest. Beginning at verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abides a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Verse 4, consider how great this man was, that is Melchizedek. Consider how great he was. But as you do, you he's saying, consider Christ. And what Melchizedek represented or was a picture of in terms of Jesus as the great high priest. You can read for yourself in Genesis 14 concerning what was mentioned here in Hebrews Chapter 7, where we're introduced to the, the man who was a priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, and then he's mentioned here in this portion of Scripture, Melchizedek. He was a king. Jesus Christ is a greater king. He's the king of kings. He's the only potentate king of kings and lord of lords, and therefore we see one whom we bow before and we confess as being greater than Melchizedek. We confess Christ as Lord and King. He's the head of the church. It's not you, it's not me, it's Christ. He's the one that unites us together in his body. 
Melchizedek was the king of righteousness. Christ is the king of righteousness. Melchizedek was only by name, Jesus by name and by nature, king of righteousness. In him were made righteous before God. Melchizedek was king of Salem. Salem meaning the king of peace. Jesus Christ is the king of peace. Through him we have peace with God and peace with one another through Christ. He was without father or mother or there was no mention of Melchizedek's genealogy even though he would have had a mother and father but no mention of genealogy there. It's just he's brought into the, the scripture mentioned and then he goes out without any knowledge of who his parents were. Jesus Christ was not of the ironic priesthood line, but Scripture declares that he was before all things. Jesus had no beginning and no ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This is Jesus that we see by faith. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The Lord Jesus blesses us. The true seed of Abraham through that seed, which is Christ. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Christ gave of himself as that sacrifice and that offering made for us. Yes, we see Jesus. We see our great high priest. We see our compassionate great high priest. We see our compassionate great and our eternal high priest. We see Jesus now through faith given to us by God. And the question is, must always be asked when we say and talk about Jesus. Is that the Jesus you see? Do you see this Jesus? If you see this Jesus by faith now, then you will see him face to face forever in glory. That's the hope we have. There's coming a day when every eye will see him. Therefore, you must also ask the question, if you do not see Jesus by faith, we would call you to repentance and to believe on this Jesus. Because if you do not believe on this Jesus, then when you stand before him, whether it be through death or when he comes again, you will see him and you will be like those who says, that pierced him. They will weep and they will wail because of him. All those that rejected him and those today that will not come to him for life and forgiveness, they will see him, but he will be seen by them as their judge, not as an advocate. As a judge, they will stand before him and that judge will cast them forever from his presence. And so we must not neglect to say to all here this morning to look to this Jesus. Look to the cross and see Jesus who died for sinners. Look to the empty tomb where Jesus rose from, from death and victorious over sin. And look up to heaven, the heaven of the heavens, to the Lamb who is now upon the throne, to the great high priest, whoever and eternally intercedes for his people. So repent of your sins and believe on his name. There's no other mediator. There's no other savior. There's no other offering and offerer 
This is Jesus. Christ Jesus our Lord. Look to him. Believe on him. Trust him. For us that see him by faith, this is our hope. That we will see him upon his throne in glory and honor. And we will forever join the assembly of all the redeemed. With Peter, with Mary, with Zacchaeus, with Martha. Every person that saw Jesus as we have seen him this morning. And we will be with him forever. When we're with him forever, there'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sorrow. We will never take our eyes off him. We'll never take our eyes off him. He is our eternal, compassionate, great high priest. But we see Jesus. Do you see him? Someone wrote, we would see Jesus, the great rock foundation where on our feet were set by sovereign grace. Not life nor death with all their agitation can thence remove us if we see his face. Let us pray.